Hello there, and welcome to Long Distance Joy, conversations between two long-distance friends about faith, culture, life, and all the things that bring us joy. I'm Lizzie. I live in uh, North Texas with my husband and my son, and I work as a client manager for a tax consulting firm. And I'm Abby. I live in the D.C., Washington, D.C. area, working in the nonprofit world um, as a recruiter, so helping people find their right fit in the workplace. We're so glad you're here, and we can't wait to get started. Wonderful. Thank you. So speaking of men, Abby, would you like to introduce our uh, topic for the evening? I'd be happy to, Lizzie. So after our last episode, when we uh, delved into some of our favorite literary heroines, we thought it'd be fair to give the men a turn and decided that this week we we're going to talk about some of our favorite literary heroes. Um, yes. And then I'm excited because, again, we didn't discuss who we chose in advance. So this is a surprise to us all. <laughs> so, Lizzie, would you like to start us off with your first literary hero? Yeah, so um, this one, it comes as no surprise. I think Abby may have touched on this on our uh, last episode because uh, she kind of mentioned that she would, I think you mentioned this. I can't remember. Maybe this was an off-air conversation. Anyways, <laughs> so um, my number one literary hero that uh, shaped who I am and kind of really um, just spoke to me was none other than Gilbert Blythe. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> leading male character of the Anne of Green Gables series. Um, he makes an appearance early in the series and then is a pretty significant character as you go through um, Anne's life. And he is my top pick because as you go through the series, you really see him grow in his determination. It starts off with a very um, boyish uh, devotion, almost a, a crush on Anne. And spoiler alert, they get married. Yeah. So sorry, guys. Just those of you that haven't read it, <laughs> uh, read the series, I highly recommend it. Um, but you, you see him kind of develop this determination and it goes from just that boy, that boyish want to, you know, realizing as a man that he's going to have to sacrifice and really pursue her. Um, that is definitely another quality, the fact that he pursues Anne. Um, I love that. I love seeing how, you know, distance means nothing. Um, time goes through and, and means nothing. And still, he's, he's still pursuing um, his love. Um, I also love how he, he really respects Anne and kind of knows boundaries. Um, you definitely see him respect her intelligence and her independence. And he doesn't try to bring those qualities down into a level that he can really work with. He just kind of lets her be herself and then just admires and respects her for who she is. Um, I love that he's in a caring profession. Um, he's a doctor. So, and that was before being a doctor was prestigious. So it was long hours, not a lot of thanks. I don't even think they made very much money back then, which is kind of a foreign concept to us nowadays. Yeah. But he did it for the for the love of helping people and for, you know, for life. And then um, my last quality I want to kind of hone in on is just how loving he is. Just always so caring and, and sweet and um, just really loves 
you know, his wife and his children. And, and you really see that come out. So Gilbert Blythe is my top pick for um, literary hero of the year of the century, whatever you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> the century, my gosh. Yes. Oh, I love Lord. my century. <laughs> no, he's the best. I mean, it's like, I knew I had to let that one be for you because <laughs> you have the mug. I mean, you have a coffee cup that has his face on it from the movie. So. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he definitely, uh, Definitely is is one of those one of those people I wish was real so I could meet him, but Aww. sadly he'll live on in my imagination. <laughs> no, I love that. That's yeah. He's a. I feel like especially when you're growing up and you like watch those movies, you read those books, you're just like, you kind of grow up with Anne in a way, and you begin to see Gilbert uh-huh. with the same eyes. Like, oh, he insulted me in public. I'm never speaking to him again. This is awful. And then you begin <laughs> to like build this kinship and this camaraderie, which is us. So it's so important and I think so underrated in relationships. And then it flourishes into this beautiful relationship where she doesn't need sunbursts or marble halls. She just needs right. and it's yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that for me, as I had mentioned on the last podcast, so um, the Anne of Green Gables series really, I think I tried to read it when I was younger, uh, but I actually was more introduced to it in college, which mm-hmm. Well, I definitely agree that childhood is very formative for me. College was a lot more formative in structuring who I am and what I'm looking for in the world and ultimately what I'm looking for in a spouse. So I feel like it was kind of the perfect timing to really highlight those qualities that I was looking for to um, kind of set me off into the world. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I like that. Yeah. Oh, Gilbert. All right, Abby. All who's, right. who's your guy? So... Going back to last podcast, when I mentioned my the last episode, where I mentioned I am a little bit indecisive, <laughs> I was literally just rethinking my choices, like right now. Um, oh, no. <laughs> that was fine, not because I don't like them, but because I'm like, I had a hard time really thinking it. And I was like, complaining to someone, I was like, I know I've read books with men in them before. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, how am I struggling so much to think of like... The top. <laughs> so to preface that all with, um, this is no slight to my first choice. So I had to really kind of think about what books had shaped me. But I actually read The Tale of Two Cities when I was, I think I was in eighth grade or a freshman in high school. And I just remember being struck by Sidney Carton, who if you're um, familiar with the book, he is the doppelganger for one of the main characters who ultimately, um, well, this is set during the French Revolution, which is, you know, a rough time in the French culture and tradition. And a lot of innocent life was was taken um, through just this awful trial process and the, the France, French's government and whatnot. And ultimately, this character, Sidney Carton, sacrifices his life to take the place of the man who the main character, whom he loves. So he, yeah. sorry, getting a little rambling here. This is a long composer. Basically, he yeah. gives his life for the woman he loves so that she can be with her husband. So... Oh. It's just a beautiful story. And like at the end, he, he, and he kind of starts out, he's this like really disreputable lawyer. He's super smart and like everyone knows he is, but they kind of take advantage of him because he's kind of an alcoholic and like isn't such a moral person and just complains and he's like a bit of a layabout. And I was even like looking for a quote to summarize like his personality. And it, like a great one is, I care for no man on earth and no man on earth cares for me. Like that kind of summarizes his personality. <laughs> he's just really kind of, like, eh, whatever, I'm just kind of here, just hanging in doing life. And then at the very end, he just has this beautiful ending that he says, going up to be um, 
beheaded because of the guillotine and he had just come from, he's like, he's just, you see this character just grow and change in such a profound way where he, he's caring for those around him and he, he he's giving his life. And this isn't just something he's doing just on a whim, but he kind of goes and he, his last words in the book are, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest than I, that I go to than I have ever known. And I, I just remember reading that as like a very, imp- I know it's so moving. Um, but just remember reading that as a very impressionable, you know, early teen and thinking like, wow, this character who I despise for most of the book um, truly redeemed himself in a really mm-hmm. Christ-like and just profound experience of offering his life for another. And ultimately, as he's like going up to be executed, um, he's comforting this other girl who's with him, who was also falsely accused, who's an innocent. And she's, you know, and he comforts her and he gives her almost kind of... um comfort of the dying in a sense he was really he's fully Mm -hmm. present to there and he just wants to make sure that she is as peaceful and as ready to go and to be killed as possible which it sounds very Mm -hmm. morbid but uh but just what i really appreciate is that he yeah that he he recognized himself he saw himself truly like Mm -hmm. i am not i have not been living the best that i could Mm -hmm. and that there was hope and ultimately almost like his death is his resurrection in a sense and i was just always really touched Mm -hmm. by his like his masculine charisms really come up at the very end. And he's like, Nope, I'm doing this. I want to, I want to love these people well. Um, mm-hmm. And he ultimately gives his life to do that. So I was just really, yeah. I just like him. So Cindy Carton, kind of a weird name, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but no. it's Charles Dick. He's kind of got some odd, some odd names floating around. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. I mean, Oliver Twist, like, let's be real. It's kind of an odd one. Um, right. Absolutely. <laughs> It's funny because I definitely remember having to read that book in, I want to say it was, like you said, either eighth grade or or freshman year of high school. And I do not remember that part of the story at all, but I don't remember very much of it, except that I didn't like it because it was so wordy. Yeah, it's a pretty (laughs) good book. I'm going to have to go back and read it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and read it. I think I even have it here on the shelf at home. Yeah, it's funny. I actually got into read for a book club that I'm in, and I was just like, man, I forgot how good this book is. Hey, Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's funny you bring up the French Revolution because my second choice is actually uh, from that time period as well. It is Percy from the Scarlet Pimpernel. I love that book. Yes. Oh, goodness gracious. This one I definitely remember reading in high school. So he, for those that don't know, this is, again, spoiler alert. I feel like we should probably tag this whole thing yeah. as one big giant spoiler. Yeah. Um, so the Scarlet Pimpernel is set in the same time period as um, Tale of Two Cities. It's the French Revolution where the uh, commoners are trying to overthrow the aristocracy. And basically, if you're even the littlest bit in charge, they want to kill you, kill everybody. Like Abby was saying with the guillotine off with their head, the whole situation. So in the Scarlet Pimpernel, this guy is um, kind of Percy's he's wealthier. Um, I think he's described as very good looking kind of in sort of a like dummy kind of way. Like, Oh, <laughs> like all looks, no brains. And he puts on this charade in society of being like this very kind of, I think the word they use is like foppish, like very mm, like, like, yes, like tall, good looking, but not much good for anything other than just looking at. <laughs> not much going up on upstairs. <laughs> right, not much going on upstairs. So, um, so he ends up marrying this beautiful 
highly sought after, very cunning, very, you know, very interesting, very stylish. And she, it even specifically says that she married him because she wanted somebody to have this like slavish devotion to her. And she thought that that would be, you know, this guy. And so he, he's kind of, even after they get married, still kind of like, you know, just not really, didn't really have a lot going on upstairs. Like at <laughs> It turns out halfway through the book, you find out that he is this mysterious character that disguises himself and keeps sneaking the aristocrats uh, out of the city. And um, he disguises himself as like soldier. He disguises himself as like an old hag with like a cart full of like rotting pigs and <laughs> all these interesting, um, really interesting things. And, so you find that you find this out like right at the end of the book and oh my goodness, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, so my, he is my pick because he is obviously very courageous, um, putting himself constantly in danger, life on the line. Um, cause of course if he was caught immediately, he'd be you know sent to the guillotine and, and that would be it. But he doesn't let that fear stand in his way. Um, I love that he's very cunning, very um, daring, very smart. Um, not in definitely not in the way that he lets other people think that he is, which I think is kind of an attractive quality of <laughs> that like secret weapon of his sleeve of like, no, nah, I'm actually super smart, and you guys don't even know. <laughs> I'm just picturing like Lizzie as like a 14 year old like meeting some guy who's like maybe not all the most <laughs> mentally aware and being like, maybe he's secretly a genius. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes. Maybe it did give me a little bit of unrealistic expectations. I don't know. Uh, but then I, I also love that, you know, he's protective of his wife. I mean, initially he was doing, you know, kind of doing this to keep her safe so that, you know, she wouldn't be put in danger. Um, but just, just a very heroic character, very kind of, to use Abby's words, very Christ-like character of, you know, consistently putting himself in danger, carrying that burden of, you know, trying to find a solution to get these innocent people out of the city. So Percy from the Scarlet Pimpernel is uh, my number two. Oh, I like that a lot. That's so funny. We both picked someone from the French Revolution. I know. Mm. As soon as you said cities i was like no way <laughs> <laughs> would it have been funny if we had chosen the same one so randomly i don't think we did uh, that would have been funny <laughs> but you can tell we had similar educational upbringings <laughs> yes very classical <laughs> That's because if you're ready i can share my number two who's, no, who's your number two okay so this is very nerdy and it's only a recent addition to my like world of literary characters uh, but I'm, I'm so intrigued I, know, I, love, I love this book it's one of the few books that i've ever finished reading and immediately wanted to begin again and it's actually the Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien ah yes <laughs> I it's one of those books because I grew up my family is they're big we're big readers and do a lot of reading out loud which is always like I think I mentioned has been very formative for me but it's one of the ones that we had on the shelf that I remember picking up as a kid and someone being like oh that's a hard one you won't like it or something along those lines so I like read the first page and was like oh this is hard and so I just put it back <laughs> Um, and then recently had this conviction about wanting to read it for myself and like kind of judge the book on its own merits. And so I did. And I was like, I think I like this more. Don't hate me more than the Lord of the Rings because it's uh, yeah. for those of you who are unfamiliar or maybe don't know the middle earth chronology and storyline, Tolkien created this entire world that has epic history and myths and a language language is plural and is a history mm. that spans millennia. And he just 
imagined and dreamed up this amazing world. And the Lord of the Rings is like a saga within this world where the Silmarillion is like the full, like from creation onto like modernity in their world kind of thing. Wow. So it starts out with this beautiful description of essentially creation, but it happens through music and it's just beautiful. So I highly recommend anyone to read that if you just have a, have a thirst for epic mythology. (laughs) As soon as I said that, I was like, wow, I think my, my UD degree is is showing a little bit. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Um, But I think embedded within that, there's a bunch of different myths. And my favorite one that I like was literally in tears reading because I was just so struck by the beauty of it. Um, it's actually the myth of Baron and Luthien. Well, they don't consider them myths. It's you know their history. And the beautiful thing about it, so it's a it's a romance. It's a love story between Baron, who's this um, human, he's a man, and then Luthien, who is an elvish woman. And um, it's actually Tolkien says that he compares their meeting to when he met his wife, which is just so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I like, love I think that. It's on her tombstone that says something about her being his Luthien. Like, she's this light. Um, and in the Middle, Middle, wow, sorry, Middle Earth storyline, um, it, it really has to do a lot with um, she's like the Northern Star. She kind of allows, you know, allows these people to kind of find their way and really just, mm. it's this beautiful storyline. But anyway, so Baron, the guy, um, he, he sees her. She's like singing in the woods one day, which is kind of how I always pictured that I would like meet the guy. Like I would be like in the woods somewhere, oh, yes. and they'd be like, "Oh, this is perfect." And so unrealistic. Yes, I know. Um, Very Disney princess of you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just where I'm at. No, not anymore. Obviously, I have some some self realization here. But this kind of this beautiful image of like he comes across her. She's like just admiring. She's taking in the beauty all around her, and he takes in her beauty. I've just always been captured by that because she's not even aware that he's there, um, but he's able to kind of take her in and her beauty and her goodness and all. And they fall in love. No surprise. Uh, but this is beautiful because there's so many odds that are kind of against them. Um, like her father does not like him because Baron is a man. He's not of their high race and all this stuff. Um, but Baron is like of this kingly line of men um and he is just heroic he's incredibly competent he's a warrior and he's ready to fight for luthien but at the same Uh time they they get married kind of in secret there's some some twists that happen but ultimately they just are looking they they want to live a normal life like they would love to just kind of you just imagine like they're looking for like that suburban life like settle down house kids you know like um but their life is really not always of their own and they have to go and fight against all odds to stay together and the beauty of it is that I think people often assume that Tolkien saw a lot of the female characters like these kind of damsels in distress, but it's quite the opposite. If you've actually read the Lord of the Rings, Eowyn, like we talked about last time, she's kind of intense. She's awesome. And Luthien is the yeah. exception. She's not this damsel in distress waiting for Baron to go like defeat the bad guy Morgoth and come back to her. He, she goes with him and actually helps. She's part of that process of helping um, mm. to give them the future that they hope for together. And I just thought that's so beautiful because Baron is he wants that like he wants that companionship from her and it's just a beautiful beautiful thing that they're kind of called out of their quiet lives mm-hmm. to do great things but they do it together and I just find that really beautiful and oh, yeah. kind of a, a story for all ages sort of thing so I would say Baron is my number two um number two literary characters because I think it's beautiful and highly recommend the story also he has an awesome dog which is not really the central point of the story <laughs> but really his dog is awesome and I was like 
that's part of why I was crying because it's a beautiful story and his dog has like can speak it's kind of interesting but just read it oh, yeah, yeah I, have to, I have to admit I, I don't think I ever read that one I think it was kind of like you were saying Abby I think I mentioned it and somebody's like oh that's too hard you should like try when you're older and then I ran out of time when I was older so I'll have Right. On, my, on my list for uh, next next library run, see if I can go um, find a copy in the library. <laughs> Definitely, highly recommend. It's a beautiful story, and it will just suck you in. It's like yeah. Oh, I need a good one like that. So, anyways, back to you. <laughs> All right, my third and final uh, male literary character. This was one that I feel like really actually did kind of shape me from a very young age, and it's going to sound a little redundant. Because it's from one of the same series that I mentioned last time, which I guess two of mine are. But anyways, it is um, Pa from Little House on the Prairie or the Laura Ingalls Wilder series. Uh, Yeah, I always really loved the relationship that he kind of provided in the book. Um, And the cool thing was that he was real. It wasn't just like a a story, which nothing against fictional stories, um, but this was actually based on a real and it was based on Laura Ingalls Wilder's father, Charles, um, who his name is Charles in the book. Um, but anyway, so obviously, like the first off, they start off in the woods, then they go uh, on a covered wagon and live out in the prairie. And then they go and I think they even help start like a town. Um, but through all of this, you can see him just being this incredible rock for his family, um, just a consistent source of strength. Um, he's literally providing for his family by just like pulling um a living out of the earth you know by gardening and and caring for the animals um but like literally with his hands you know like working with his hands um and then he's he's a protector you see him protect his family time and time again from the elements from hunger from bears from just all these you know wild things um and I love how, as a, you know, as a family, you know, being there for his family is also extremely important. Um, he compliments his wife a lot, which is really sweet to see. Um, constantly is giving her compliments of just what a wonderful homemaker she is and how, you know, she she's always saying what a great provider he is. And he's always saying what a great homemaker she is. So I love that kind of dynamic. Um and he just, he really leads his family. You see him lead his family through um, encouragement of virtue, through um, uh, giving them an example of, you know, living. And then he's, he also is very musical um, and kind of will lead his family through some tough times just with joy and really showing them what it means to to live a good virtuous life and to to be a hardworking person so that would be my third third and final pick of the evening for um my uh literary male character i love that and something i just really caught that i think that we both talked about a few times inadvertently Mm -hmm. with our male characters is that they all um i think what draws us to them is that they keep the wild at bay like they're this kind of like for, like this protective wall against what is good and beautiful and true behind them, and they mm-hmm. put themselves at risk to to be that defensive wall to keep yeah to keep the wild at bay. Um, yeah, and I think it's yeah. so important to recognize you. We don't we don't get a lot of those examples um, encouraged and talked about. There's all this talk about like toxic masculinity in uh, the culture today, and I just think it's important to be balanced in that. Um, and absolutely so. 
I mean, he was like literally Absolutely. keeping the wilderness and all the, yeah. <laughs> the, the dire right. threats at bay and keeping them away from his Absolutely. Family. Absolutely. But I think that, you know, characters like, like Pa are a great example of, um, you know, to kind of counterbalance that, that toxic masculinity mm-hmm. element that we see so much in today's society. I mean, yes, he was a man, but he had that soft, tender side. He never raised his voice at his family. He never took his frustrations or anger out on them. He was, you know, truly the best of the masculine person with none of that toxicity that we see, none of that overcompensating that we see in a lot of male characters today. That's so true. Um, which is something I really, I really loved and admired about his character was just that even though he was strong, he definitely had that tender side too, mm-hmm. which I think is extremely important. Yeah. And someone was just sharing this with me. Yeah. Sharing this with me today. It's kind of a random little tidbit, but it was yeah. talking about elephants, believe it or not. And they were just saying how like elephants were kind of a symbolic in a lot of um, Middle Eastern Asian cultures about like uh-huh. the epitome of true strength because they never needed to take their strength out on anger. It was this like stalwart, yeah. strong creature that um, has like a long memory, but also is very kind and able to nurture those around them through their strength. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. Look at right. the elephants. Okay. That's right. All right. Round us out. <laughs> so I will. And this is funny that we both, um, I'm just going to share. I also chose a real person <laughs> for my last one because oh. This cool. is the first person I thought of, but I was like, but they're a real person. And I'm like, this is stupid. This is still like <laughs> one of the most formative literary characters that I've come across. Um, so uh-huh. again, growing up in a family with all brothers and a, a dad who was a huge history fan, um, especially World War II military history. Um, I was exposed to Band of Brothers at a young age. So uh-huh. kind of grew up watching the movies, read the books a few times. To the point where, like, that's, like, my cathartic release, like, where some people are, like, I need to just, like, watch a good, sad movie. I'm, like, I'm going to watch Band of Brothers, guys. Like, I just got to get it. It's so good. Nicholas Sparks, this is a job for Band of Brothers. <laughs> but really, though, they're, like, manly guys. Um, and it's based all on a true uh, yes. story. It's about the 101st Airborne who jumped into battle on D-Day, um, you know, and, and were there throughout the war. They were sort of, like, the worst fronts. They were there, um in the Ardennes, the forest, which was this winter battle that just was long and awful and brutal in so many ways. Um, but really, the one of the pivotal characters in the book, Band of Brothers, again, which is based off of this actual unit um, who just did heroic things and really kind of brought the American ideal to bear in, in, in kind of the, mm-hmm. the American dream, that greatest generation kind of thing we see that really brought to real life. But my favorite character... Um, who was an amazing man. I know people who actually have met him, which is amazing. Is Dick oh, Winters. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal as a character and as a real person. If you watch the movies, they actually do real interviews with him. So you get to see this man who was just an absolute genius for leadership um, because he was so talented at getting the best out of his men, knowing when to cajole them, when to encourage them, when to, you know, sometimes he did have to raise his voice because they were in life-threatening situations or – of course. Or just to pull them aside and say, hey, what's going on? Like, talk to me. Um, yeah. And I just was really struck by that because he, um, in kind of the same way that we were talking with Paul, like, being able to keep, mm-hmm. keep the forces of evil at bay, was that yeah. Dick Winters was a modern man. He was truly so heroic. Like, if you watch the movies, which are based in fact or read the books, you see that so clearly. Um, mm-hmm. He was real, and he like really lived by his principles. Like you see, his like his men and his his peers kind of teasing him for being a Quaker because they think he doesn't drink or like doesn't curse <laughs> and all this stuff. And he's like, not a Quaker, 
Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but he wasn't. <laughs> right. But I think it's really beautiful because what ultimately comes down to is I think he recognized that there was good and evil in this world and that the mm-hmm. good is worth fighting for. And there's this great quote that I just found that I thought was really so emblematic of him. And it says, before I dozed off, this is around D-Day. Uh, I did not forget to get on my knees and thank God for helping me live through this day and to ask his help on D-Day plus one. I would live this war one day at a time, and I promised myself that if I survived, I would find a small farm somewhere in Pennsylvania countryside and spend the remainder of my days in quiet and peace. Mm. And I just, I like think about that. And because all these men that we've talked about lived in ways heroic lives Uh in times when it sounds like a lot of them would have preferred to just have a quiet life. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yet they didn't, they didn't turn away from that fight. Obviously that doesn't mean it was without its challenges and the difficulties of it and all, but they, they fought for good. Um, and to keep, just keep those transcendentals, a good, true and beautiful protected in a place that could really, they could flourish. Um, but yeah. Dick Winters, I highly recommend such a good role model for people and just like actually lives out the things that he 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 says that he does so yeah yeah now i love that that we had a couple people on here that were real i mean i definitely love love a good fictitious story but i'm also i love that there's you know like you said it's he's a real guy he's a real person you know people that have met him and he you know they've got interviews of him i think that's so inspiring to know that somebody can live out these virtues that sometimes seem just like fairy tales but somebody's actually lived them out in yeah their really so cool. very Oh, I love it. And that kind of wraps up. I just want to share one more word of wisdom yeah. from, from um, Dick Winters. But he says, one day my grandson said to me, Grandpa, were you a hero in the war? And I said to him, no, I'm not a hero, but I've served in a company full of them. Oh, so I just want to kind of conclude that with that because I just think that's so beautiful and that humility of recognizing that we all are called to fight, um, whether it's you know, in actual combat, which we hope that never comes to that um but that you know we can recognize that we are all called in ways to to stand up to to stand up to darkness in a way and these are really great examples of that yeah absolutely i love that (laughs) (laughs) very much so so we seem to be a little bit less chatty on the subject of our literary heroes though we're only at 30 minutes how could we oh my gosh (laughs) We're just more concise. I think that's kind of fitting, given that we were talking about men since men tend to be more concise with their explanations. We're just making it really authentic. (laughs) That's right. That's right. My husband would be so proud. (laughs) (laughs) We can actually podcast in less than 45 minutes. Who knew? Hey. (laughs) This has been a wonderful tour de force of our favorite favorite literary fellows. Um, Yeah. If you have any other ideas of books that we need to read. Let us yeah, know. let us know. We're, we're definitely um, open to bumping somebody out if we find another literary character that deserves <laughs> spots in top three. <laughs> oh, this is hard though. Who would I? Maybe Sydney Carton. Sorry. I like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I did rank in my hierarchy of like least to greatest. So I will just, I will just say that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. So, we'd love to hear from our listeners. If you've got somebody that you think we should give a second chance to or somebody new that we should read, we are definitely always open for the recommendations. And we hope that you'll check out our recommendations if you need a good read or a good source of inspiration um, in the literary world. <laughs> Wonderful. And thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you. Have a good night. (laughs) Bye.